Are y'all ready for the word of God or are you tired? Some of the visitors are like, there's still more? <laughs> That's how we get down. You should have come to first service if you want to get out early. Uh, no, I, I do have a word. I do have a word that I believe is not just for the men of the house. It's for everybody. I won't be before you long. I want to get you to lunch so you can celebrate your dad or celebrate the man of God in your life. But go with me today to 2 Corinthians. Remain standing. We're going to honor the reading of God's word. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to look at verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start at verse number one and we'll land at verse number 10. The Apostle Paul writing his second letter to the church of Corinth, that gifted, talented, but crazy and immature church <laughs> called Corinth. We're going to start at verse one, land at verse number 10. And when you're ready to read it, say, oh, I'm ready. If you're not ready, say, give me some time. Oh, y'all ready. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1, Paul writes these words. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. And even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Let me bring that into modern day vernacular. Paul's like, I could flex if I want to. So if I flexed, I'd be telling the truth. God has done some stuff through me, but I, I'm not going to do that. He says, I'll refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded to the Lord, take it away. But he said to me, oh, he said to me, I got stuck this morning on that he said to me because it blessed me to know that even in the middle of suffering, God was still speaking. So many times when you're going through pain and you're going through suffering, the enemy wants you to focus on the suffering so you won't hear what God is saying. But Paul is saying, in the middle of the suffering, God is still speaking. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, ooh, I take delight in weaknesses, in insults from trolls on Instagram that got public opinions from a private page. <laughs> oh, don't say that in your version. That's just, just mine. In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then 
I am strong. Ladies and gentlemen, that's one of those we could just go home after the scripture right there. That is so good. But I want to hone in, I believe it's on his verse 7 right there. Verse 7, he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. To keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me the gift of a thorn. I want to tag a title to this text and preach to you for 25 minutes. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. All things are possible. <laughs> From this thought, the thorn in my pride. The thorn in my pride. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray a long prayer because some of y'all are tired. God, speak to us today. Amen. You may be seated the presence of the Lord. The thorn in my pride. One of the things that I do have some control over here at social, and I can make the final call, is the order of service. I get to pick the order of service. I get to pick who says what and how long they say it. So imagine my joy today when I made the order of service and I had them put my father, Robert Madu Sr., on the order of service, I made him be on the order of service for Father's Day, and I told him how long he could talk. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we call payback right there. My father, who you heard earlier, is unashamedly, unapologetically, and authentically African. He was born in Oweri, Nigeria in 1957. But in 1977, he pulled an Eddie Murphy and came to America, where he met my mom on the collegiate campus of Texas A&M. Aggies in the house. And from what I'm told, their first interaction was actually not in the club. It was in a library, where he rolled up on her and said, uh, excuse me, are you from Nigeria? To which my American mom retorted and said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I guess my dad kept spitting game, and <laughs> then came love, then came marriage, then came me in the baby carriage. And it's interesting being raised by an African father, a Nigerian father. Life is different when your father is Nigerian. It, it just is. There are situations that you deal with that other kids aren't even aware of. There are statements and speeches and pithy words that you get constantly inundated with these statements. You won't find them in the Bible, but they are packed with all kinds of wisdom. It starts in childhood. You know, you're just playing your Sega Genesis, trying to mind your own business. Here come your daddy in your room talking about, son, cut this thing off. Cut it off. Cut it off. Hey, have you done your homeworks? Like, dad, uh, that's not even due till next week. No, I haven't done my homework. Huh, not due till next week. Let me tell you something. Tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. These are the statements that you get. Then they just leave the room and leave you in suspense. <laughs> These are the statements you get as a childhood. It doesn't stop even in adulthood. Even in adulthood, this man will come up to me. I am grown. Come up to me and say, son, how much is in your retirement? It's like, first of all, that's none of your business. But if you want to know, here it is. I'll show him what's in my retirement. He looks at the account and goes, oh, my goodness. Is that all that you have? Son, let me tell you something. If you take care of your pennies, your dollars will take care of themselves. 
These are the statements that you get when you got a Nigerian father. One of the statements that he said repeatedly that I am still impacted by today and really is going to shape our thoughts and our journey today is this old African proverb that simply says, until the lion learns to write, every story will always glorify the hunter. Until the lion learns to write, every story will always glorify the hunter. I love that proverb right there. It is packed with potent truth because in that little proverb with clarity and with brevity, it's letting us know the human tendency to edit our stories in such a way where we always highlight our strengths but we hide our weaknesses. Oh, come on, don't act like you aren't that type of person that is so quick to flex what you're good at, but hide all of your idiosyncrasies and all of your issues. We tell our stories in such a way that we show our strengths, but we hide our weaknesses. And since it's Father's Day, I may as well go there. Men, we are the worst. Oh, come on. Men, we always talk about our strengths. We'll introduce ourselves with what we do. Do. There's nothing like a man that'll let you know this is my strength and we hide our weaknesses. That's why when we're growing up, we start trying to act like superheroes and putting towels around our neck because we are quick to flex and sew the S on our chest. We want you to see our cape, Ooh, but we don't want you to see our kryptonite. We don't want you to see the thing that we are battling with on the inside of us. Oh, we love to show that we're Superman, but we don't want to let you know that there is a Clark Kent on the inside of this Superman. And since it's Father's Day, can I just give a gift to all the men in the room and tell you ladies, we don't need to be reminded of our kryptonite. Come on, somebody. Like, brothers, can I be honest and say that there's something about somebody that will actually speak to the purpose and the destiny that is on your life and not remind you of your weaknesses. I'm not saying you shouldn't have accountability and responsibilities, but how many of you know nobody has ever been nagged into purpose? Ooh, I'm out here now and the fellas ain't even saying amen to help me out. Nobody has ever been nagged into purpose. Nobody has ever been told you ain't nothing and then looked at themselves, you, you know what, I ain't nothing. I ought to be something. No, don't tell me about my weakness. You ought to look at the man in your life and say, I see God's call on your life. I see destiny on your life. God has so much more in store for you. I'm telling you, ladies, you will get your Superman if you would speak to his purpose and speak to his destiny and and I remind him of his flaws and his deficiencies. Something about the reality that all of us are wrestling. We're trying to flex and show the strength and hide the weakness. Until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. I love that African proverb because to me the imagery of that proverb is of a man who's dragging the dead body of a lion into a village. He throws the carcass in the middle of the village and he gathers everybody around and he tells them with passion how he wrestled down the lion and how the lion almost got him but he defeated him and everybody watches with wide-eyed wonder the story of his bravery and of his valor. The only problem is since you and the lion were the only one in the jungle how do we know? How do we know if you really defeated him? How, how do we know if you're telling the truth about the lion or if you lion? How do we know that you really didn't wrestle down the lion, but you actually just found his dead body and all you really did was just pick up the lion and throw the lion in the middle of the village? How do we know? But
but you're telling the story and you're always going to tell the story to make yourself look like the hero. See, this, ladies and gentlemen, is actually why I love the Bible. This is why I actually believe in the authenticity and the validity of the Bible. Because although the Bible was written by men, how many of you know it was edited by the Holy Spirit? And the Bible was not written to bring glory to man. It was actually written to give glory to the lion. It was written to give glory to the lion. You're looking at me confused. Who is the lion? Revelations 5, chapter 5 tells us who the lion is. His name is Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, please don't ever get it twisted. Your God is not a coward. Your God is not scared. Your God does not have an inferiority complex. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I'm afraid that so many times in church, we just see him as the suffering lamb who is quiet. And yes, he is the lamb but he is also the lion he is the lamb that was silent as they took his own life excuse me as he laid his own life down but he's also the lion that roars with all power in his hands he's the lion and the lamb oh I gotta calm down but I feel like preaching men if you're looking for what to look at to be a man look at King Jesus he is our model of masculinity because he is the lion and the lamb we need some man that'll be the lion and be the lamb you want to talk about toxic masculinity toxic masculinity is when you're all lion and no lamb so you walk around and you don't talk to people with respect and you're just roaring everywhere with all authority and just all lying. That is toxic masculinity. Conversely, when you all lamb and you ain't got no backbone and this culture that wants to pacify and sissify man and just make them go, oh no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you all lamb, that is toxic too. But if you ought to be like King Jesus, oh, you need to be a lion when you need to be a lion. And you need to be a lamb and you need to be a lamb. That means you need to know when to roar and speak up and you need to know when to be quiet and shut up. That means you need to know when to lift up your hands and not be ashamed to worship in church. But you also need to know when to roll up your sleeves and say, devil, you cannot have my family. You can't have my children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I ain't waiting for your mama to tell y'all to go to church. Get out the bed. We all going to church. We all going to worship. We will be in the house of God. God. We need some men who will be lions and will be lambs. Ooh, I love the Bible because the Bible gives us the model of manhood. It may not give you a manual for manhood when you're born, but if you look at the Bible, God will show you what it is to be a lion and be a lamb. So I love the Word of God because the Holy Spirit edited the Bible in such a way that we get the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I'm telling you, if it was up to men to write the Bible, your Bible would read differently. Ooh, I'm telling you, I'm it would read differently if it was up to men to edit their stories because we always tell our stories to make ourselves look like the hero. I'm so glad the Bible gives us the full story. Can you imagine King David if it was up to him to write his story? Ooh, David would just have you know that he defeated Goliath and cut off his head. That's all David would tell you. He would just have you, this is me, holding Goliath's head. I love the Bible. It's the original receipts because God will not allow you to just see David as this man who's holding the head of Goliath. He also lets you see that David is the same dude that slid up in Bathsheba's DMs. Oh, and committed adultery and murder. Y'all not going to be real in church today. I'm telling you, if it was up to Samson, Samson would just have you know about his biceps, his triceps, and his deltoids. He would not say anything about Delilah and sleeping with the prostitutes. All that would be deleted out. Father Abraham, how many so? 
and many sons have father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you, so let's just. Oh, you know there's another song. There is another song. See, y'all didn't get the other song about, but you know, you know, Father Abraham slept with the maid. What's worse than that? His wife allowed him to. He got his wife pregnant, the maid too. Now, ain't nobody praising the Lord. Earrings off. We've pulled Isaac, Ishmael, baby mama drama. It's her. I mean, that's, that's the other song. Don't nobody sing that song. Nobody sings the real song. If it was up to Abraham, <laughs> delete, 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 delete. But God, <laughs> God in his kindness gives us the full story. Not for exploitation. He's not TMZ. He gives it to you for edification to let you know that he has always used earthen vessels that God has always used crooked men to draw straight lines so that whenever somebody's going to get the glory, there will be no confusion as to who should get it. It all belongs to him. But if you notice, all of those aforementioned examples are in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is primarily concerned with giving us information about people, the people God used. You get their background, you get their story, you get uh, their family history. But whenever we move over into the New Testament, especially in the epistles, the letters, most of which are penned by the Apostle Paul, we do not get a lot of information about his personhood. We get more principles. We get instruction. So he writes letters to different churches, Galatians, Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Thessalonians. He's writing letters and he's given instruction. Everybody say instruction. Say it with your chest. Say instruction. Oh, I love that Paul gives instruction. How many of you know we need instruction? Oh, we need instruction, especially the crazy church in Corinth. They needed some instruction. Instruction is good. You, you got to have instruction. The only problem is, if you only give me instruction, but you never give me intimacy into who you are, instruction without intimacy becomes intolerance from the person that's getting the instruction. Instruction without intimacy can actually turn into insubordination because after a while, all I'm getting is your rules and your instructions, but you never open up your life for me to see. Well, how do these instructions play out in your life? How is it working on you? It's easy to give instruction without intimate relationship. I want to parenthetically pause here and tell some father, tell some parent, make sure you're not just barking instructions at your kids and you hadn't even taken the time to actually have intimacy, to have relationship. Yes, you should give your kids order and instruction. Hey, turn that off. Hey, where are you going? Uh-uh, you ain't wearing that. Hey, cut that off. Hey, who is he? Uh-uh, who is she? Give the instruction. But if you're just giving instruction and there's no intimacy and there's no relationship and there's no how are you, the instruction is going to incubate an environment of intolerance if I don't ever know how does this play out in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I love 2 Corinthians chapter 12 because to me it is the most powerful thing that the Apostle Paul ever wrote because for the first time, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the dude who wrote most of the New Testament, the dude who built and planted churches, the dude who was powerful, for once in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he pulls back the curtain and stops with the instruction and gives us intimacy. And we find out that Paul has a problem. Paul opens up 
and confesses, I got a thorn. I got a thorn in my flesh. I got something, y'all, that is keeping me up at night. I got something that is killing me. I think that 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is the most powerful letter of Paul because it's the most personal letter of Paul because he's not hiding by the instruction. He's opening up his life and saying, I got a thorn in my flesh. Yes, I'm planting churches and yes, I'm preaching the gospel everywhere, but preaching the gospel does not give me a pass on the thorn that is in my flesh. Oh, what a metaphor. A thorn in your flesh. Has anybody here ever been pricked by a thorn? Oh, I have done landscaping before. I've hit a little thorn bush and it has made me say something I wouldn't say in church. And that's not even the metaphor that Paul is giving of this thorn. This is of a sharp stake that has punctured somebody's flesh and blood is coming out. Paul said, I got a thorn hit my flesh and I love you church of Corinth so much to not just give you instruction from a distance I'm going to tell you about my own personal private pain what is Paul teaching us he's teaching us the strength of vulnerability the strength of vulnerability when in the world are we going to wake up to the reality that your strength is in your vulnerability we have a culture that's always projecting like we always got it going on always projecting that you're always good and we become this plastic culture that curates this phony life online when we're really dealing with real issues and vulnerability not understanding that yes you might lead people with your strength but you connect with people through your vulnerability and vulnerability Vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability is your strength. Oh, until Paul is giving us the cheat code for strength. That strength is being honest and not being fake and saying, yo, I got a thorn. I got something that's keeping me up at night. He opens up and shows us the strength of vulnerability. I want to ask you today, how's your vulnerability? How's your vulnerability? Some of you have been coming to this church. Oh, I feel you, Lord. Some of you have been coming to this church for the longest, and you sneak in, and you sneak out, and you don't talk to anybody. Why? Because of the fear of vulnerability. Because you don't want to open up yourself to another relationship, so you keep everybody at arm's distance. You don't open up yourself to love again. You don't run the risk of uncertainty. To put yourself out there, to make a new friend, and you let the fear of betrayal rob you of an opportunity to have a real friend because you don't want to be vulnerable. Paul is teaching us a principle that if you really have strength, your strength is in your vulnerability. How many of you know Jesus was not just powerful, he was vulnerable? Ooh, this is what I love about Jesus. If I was Jesus on earth, I would have never shown vulnerability. But when I studied the Gospels, I see your master, my savior, my Lord, and my God walking not just in power, but he walks in vulnerability. Who else but Jesus in the middle of a storm is sound asleep in a storm and the disciples are tripping and they say, wake up, wake up. Don't you care about us? He gets up out of a sound sleep in a hurricane, goes to the edge of the boat and just says, peace, be still. Oh, don't get it twisted. Jesus was powerful. Who else can preach to a storm and the storm fall out in the spirit? Jesus was powerful, but he was vulnerable. That same Jesus one time is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and all of a sudden, he's alone, but he keeps running back to his disciples. And the same one that had to be woken up 
to calm the storm is now waking up his own disciples saying, would you pray with me? Because I'm going through something right now. See, it's a difference when you have a storm externally and when you have a storm internally. I'm telling you, Jesus needed somebody. You're going to tell me you don't need anybody. Your strength is in your vulnerability. Who else but Jesus could go up to Lazarus' tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes out of the grave. But before that, he takes the time to give us the shortest verse in the Bible. And it says, Jesus wept. That's vulnerability. Come on, if it's me, and I know I'm about to raise somebody from the dead, please believe. <laughs> I am not crying with the family before I raise the person from the dead. If I got the power to raise you from the dead, I'm walking in the funeral with some swag. <laughs> I'll be rolling up my sleeves like they don't even know what's about to hit them. They got that chicken casserole. They don't even know I'm about to raise him from the dead. Not Jesus. Why is he weeping with Mary and Martha? He's showing us the power of vulnerability. Your strength is in your vulnerability. Now, I know some of y'all, because I know y'all, you're hearing, oh, pastor, I'm vulnerable. I'm, I, I tell it all. Come back. Because I need to let you know, especially in this generation, that, that vulnerability is not being vulgar. Vulnerability is not oversharing. See, we, we got a generation that's like, no, I'll be vulnerable. I'll just put it out there. Yeah, I'm just going to speak my mind. How about you renew your mind? <laughs> yeah, we, we are not transformed by the speaking of our mind. <laughs> we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's some things you need to keep in your head and not tell everybody on Instagram Live. So don't confuse vulnerability with just being stupid. <laughs> there are some things you actually don't need to share. That is not vulnerability. This is what I love about Paul. Because look, Paul is vulnerable enough to say, I have a thorn in my flesh. But have you noticed he didn't say what the thorn was? Ooh, he never tells us what the thorn in his flesh was. And all kinds of scholars and theologians for years have been trying to figure out what was Paul's thorn in his flesh. Do your due diligence when you get home. There are all kinds of scholars that have postulated all kinds of theories as to what Paul's thorn in his flesh was. There are all kinds of theories that have been promulgated throughout the years. People think that his thorn in his flesh was epilepsy. Because you know, Paul was on a horse and God knocked him off the horse and a blinding light hit him in the face and some people thought he still had some issues because of the light that hit him that day when he was on the road to Damascus some people think that his thorn in his flesh was actually some sexual issue that he had that he couldn't put to rest some people think that his thorn in his flesh was his eyesight and they said some of Paul's letters he wrote real big so they said this joker is writing real big I guess he can't see so they thought his thorn in his flesh was his eyesight some one scholar said that his thorn in his flesh could have been an ex-wife and I told that scholar, ooh, you're probably telling on yourself. I think you're projecting your own issue <laughs> onto the apostle. There's all kinds of issues of what his thorn in the flesh could have been. And can I just pause and thank God and thank Paul for not telling us what the thorn in the flesh was. Because if he would have told us what the thorn in the flesh was, some of us would have looked at Paul and said, well, that ain't my issue. My issue is different. So I can't really trust God in this because your issue is different. Or some of us would have got arrogant and said, Paul got a different thorn in his flesh than I got a thorn in my flesh so thank God for Paul and the editor of the Bible the Holy Spirit for just saying I got a thorn I'm not gonna tell it what it is but is there anybody here you know what your thorn is you know what the thing is that keeps you up at night that makes you start crying out to God that'll make you worship that'll make you come to church early that's what a thorn does a thorn has the power to drive you to your knees so Paul keeps it anonymous in wisdom so that we wouldn't judge our thorn up against his thorn. 
But do you know why he tells us about his thorn in the flesh? Can I just teach? Are you bored? He tells us about his thorn in the flesh because what is happening in 2 Corinthians is very peculiar. There have been some super apostles who have come along and they're trying to discredit the ministry of the apostle Paul. They're trying to say that Paul is not qualified to be an apostle. They said that Paul is real bold in his letters, but he didn't have any power in person. These super apostles began to infiltrate the church at Corinth with false doctrine. And the way they did it was to try to discredit Paul. And one of the ways they did it was they would brag about these visions they were getting from the Lord. You know those deep people that just always walk around like they smell something? Because they're so spiritual. I mean, everything. So, yes, the Lord told me to have Cinnamon Toast Crunch today. Really, God speaks to you about Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You know, those people just act like they floated in the room. They were bragging about these grandiose visions that they were having from the Lord. And they said, if Paul was really an apostle, how come he hadn't told you about the visions he's gotten from the Lord? Because we have visions from the Lord. And I love it because the apostle Paul says, first of all, it's stupid to brag. It's stupid to flex about your strength. If you're going to flex about anything, flex about your weakness. Second of all, these super apostles who are bragging about how big they are and their visions, they're actually telling on themselves because I have found out that the link that you'll go to prove how big you are is actually telling us how small you are. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. The link that you'll go to prove how big you are, you are actually telling on yourself and letting us know how small you are. How many of you know insecurity is loud, but security is quiet? Healthy things don't have to scream, but when you are healthy and whole, you don't have to prove who you are. You don't need other people to validate who you are. You just know who you are. Insecurity is loud, but security is quiet. Have you ever noticed security is quiet? That's why they, oh, somebody just got it. That's why they call them the secret service. You ain't never saw a secret service agent talking about, I wish I would roll up on the president. I wish I would. No, we got you, president. We got you. I wish I would pull up. No. It's secret service. They're secure. So they sit back with an earpiece. Sometimes you don't even see them got sunglasses on. You know why they secure? Because they already did a sweep through four months ago. They know what you had for dinner last night. And they are secure. My cousin, who used to be a little crazy and used to fight all the time. You know, I went to private school. I said, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. And I used to get nervous about about this kid that would always say, I'm going to beat all y'all up. And my cousin pulled me to the side one day. He's like, hey, man, you don't have to be afraid of the person that's always popping off at the mouth. That's not the person to be afraid of if you're going to fight. They're overcompensating. They can't fight. He said, you want to run from the dude that is calm. Talk about you want to fight? Let's go. That's how the mafia does you. Did you ever see a mafia person yell? No, they kiss you on the cheek. No, it's okay. Come on, come on. You walk out the room, got lasers already on the back of your head. I wish I had some believers that would actually be confident in who God says that you are and stop trying to prove yourself on the ground. You ain't got to announce yourself. When God wants to announce you, the world will stand still. When God wants to promote you, that's the best type of promotion. You ain't got to market yourself. If God markets you, insecurity is loud. Security is quiet. So these super apostles kept going on about all these visions they're getting from the Lord. And Paul goes, first of all, it's stupid to brag. 
He's like, and, and if you want to play the bragging game, I could brag if I wanted to. He said, he said it's so dumb for me to brag, but, but, but you only got to understand, Paul loved the church of Corinth. And this church was being fooled by the people that were bragging. So when you get to the crib, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you feel the tension of the apostle Paul, because half of them is like, oh, it's stupid to brag. But I love the church of Corinth, and they're being deceived by people who are bragging. So let me brag a little bit. I ain't supposed to, but let me brag. They talking about they a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. He talking about you a child of Abraham. I'm a child of Abraham. He's like, I've worked harder, been through more issues, been through more suffering. He's going back and forth wrestling with whether he should brag or not because he's trying to win this church over and not have them be deceived by false doctrine. And then when we get to our text in chapter 12, he says, oh, they want to talk about visions and revelations from the Lord? All right. He says, I know a man 14 years ago that was caught up to the third heaven and saw things that it is not lawful for him to express. Now, if you're like me, you're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You're like, Paul, who are you talking about? <laughs> you know a dude. And whether he was in the body or out of the body, you don't know. But you know him. And he got caught up to the third heaven. What? Do you know what the third heaven is? Ladies and gentlemen, the first heaven is the sky. That's where the birds are. Second heaven, that is the galaxy where Elon Musk is trying to go. <laughs> the third heaven, that is the very throne room of God. That is heaven. That is where God himself dwells. And Paul writes, I know a dude who got caught up to the third heaven who met God and heard things that it wasn't even lawful for him to say. And when you're reading it, you're thinking, Paul, who are you talking about? Until you realize he's talking about himself. Oh, Paul has reached such a level of humility that even though he's talking about his trip to heaven, he doesn't even want to say it's him. Homeboy is talking in the third person because he's reached this level of humility to say, I, I know a guy. I, I can't brag because it doesn't do anything. Furthermore, he says, hold up, this happened 14 years ago, ha! 14 years ago, Paul says, I got caught up to heaven and met God, and I'm just now telling y'all about it, and it happened 14 years ago. Oh, that is humility on a whole nother level, because I'm going to tell you right now in the room, social global family, if the Lord ever catches me up to heaven, if he ever chooses to make me go blank and just get up there y'all gonna know about it the Sunday after it happens 14 years I ain't waiting 14 minutes if I can I'm on Instagram live talking about y'all we up here what up Gabriel real quick so if I get caught up everybody's gonna know about it I'm writing a book about this I'm going on a podcast what I saw when I was up there but Paul has such a level of humility that he was quiet for 14 years. Paul says, I was on a divine gag order because I heard stuff and saw things that are inexpressible to communicate. And I'm just now telling you, and the reason I'm telling you, first of all, is because I don't want you to be deceived by these super apostles, but he wasn't just telling them about the trip to heaven to tell him about the trip to heaven. It's what happened when he came down. Paul says, yeah, I went up to the throne room, 
But right after the throne room, I got a thorn. Right after God took me up, I had something hit my life so painful that it brought me right back down to my knees. Right after I went to paradise, I came down to my knees with inexpressible pain. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the way our God works. Has anybody ever been there? It seems like right after you experience the height of glory, sometimes right after that, you have something that brings you right down to your knees. How is it right after you got the raise and you finally got the dream house and now you and your wife are fighting in the dream house and you're screaming with more square footage beside, between you? It's something about going up that God has to bring us back down to our knees. Paul said, I would not be doing my duty as an apostle if I just bragged to you about my vision and about the throne room he said I'm gonna brag to you about the thorn in my flesh because that thorn in my flesh it brought me to my knees that thorn in my flesh let me know that God's still working on me that thorn in my flesh made me pray that thorn in my flesh made me dependent upon God there's something about a thorn that brings you closer to him I can't just tell you about the throne room if I don't tell you about the thorn, God will always give you the gift of a thorn. Often after you reach the heights of the throne room. I'm confused that God would not only give him the thorn, but look at what Paul does when he gets the thorn. He does what all of us should do. He shows us the strength of vulnerability, but he also shows us the power of prayer. Because what did he do when he got the thorn? He prayed. Three times. Now, how me know? The Bible says he prayed three times. You know he prayed more than three times. That is a metaphor, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Think about your thorn. Your thorn ain't made you pray no three times. Come on. Some of you in church today because of your thorn. You ain't been to church all year. Your thorn will pull out prayer out of you that you didn't know you had. He did not just pray three times. How many of you know whatever this thorn was, he kept praying about it and kept praying about it. Matter of fact, I think he said three times because he's trying to remind us of our Savior who prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Lord, if this is possible, let this cup pass from me. He prayed more than three times and somebody needs to pause right there and thank God for your thorn because your thorn is what made you an intercessor your thorn is what made you pray the blessing didn't make you pray the raise didn't make you pray the Tesla didn't make you pray oh you better thank God for the thorn because now you're actually praying the thorn makes you come to church now the thorn is actually giving you empathy for other people you used to roll your eyes when other people were going through stuff now you got a thorn and you're praying with people I need somebody to take a praise break and just thank them for what the thorn is producing thorns produce things that blessings will never produce why would God take away the thorn when the thorn is drawing you closer to him this is what nobody preaches about this is what nobody talks about we always shout about when we prayed and God took it away. But nobody talks about the unanswered prayer. And by unanswered, I mean when God gives you the answer that you didn't want. Paul says, I've lived long enough to thank him for the thorn. I'm thanking him for the thorn because of the dependency he's producing in me. 
I'm thanking him for the thorn. Not because I love the pain, but the pain is doing something that the blessing and the trip to heaven never did. He doesn't tell us what the thorn is. But he does tell us why he got it. And I don't got time to waste trying to figure out what it is that I miss why he got it. Can you put verse 7 up there? And Will, you can play real soft. He said, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, that's why I got the thorn. Paul said, I don't need to tell you what it was. It's more important that I tell you why I got it. And I got it to keep me from becoming conceited. In other words, Paul's saying, there's something more lethal and dangerous than thorns. There is something more lethal than suffering. And it's called pride. Pride is the thing that blocks your access to God. Paul said, I used to think the thorn was the issue, but now I realize, no, the thorn was keeping me from the most lethal thing in the earth, and that is pride. Pride is worse than the thorn. Pride is the sin behind every sin. Pride is what makes a father not reach out to your child. Pride is what will make a man leave his family and chase some other woman that is younger. Pride is what's destroying marriage. Pride is what's destroying families. Pride is what makes you hold on to that unforgiveness and bitterness. Pride is what's destroying churches. Pride is what's destroying corporate America. Pride is what ruins relationships. Pride is what's turning parents against children. Pride is what's breaking up families. Pride is what turned an angel in heaven into the devil because he wanted to receive the credit in the worship instead of giving the credit and the worship to God. Pride is what makes people kill and murder. Pride is the original sin. It is the carbon monoxide. It is the sin that is colorless and odorless. And yet it is so deadly. And sometimes you won't even know when it is in your life until it's too late. Paul said this thorn had one purpose to keep me from becoming prideful because pride will block my access to the God that I need and humility will open up the door and give me access to him. It wasn't a thorn in his side. It was a thorn in his pride. I know you don't like the thorn, but that thorn is keeping you humble. It's keeping you on your knees. The Bible is clear how much God detests pride. The Bible says in one scripture that he hates a proud look. Even when you look prideful, when you look like you don't need him, he can't stand it. I think all of us wrestle with pride, but particularly pride will really hit four categories of people. The highly intelligent, the greatly gifted, the incredibly wealthy, and the deeply religious. The highly intelligent, 
all of you who are really smart and you're full of all kinds of cognitive aptitude and you have more degrees than a thermometer. So many degrees that you think it is ridiculous and superfluous that people would even be in church. I mean, my goodness, we use logic. Highly intelligent, because you know so much. Pride comes to those who think that their intellect and their wisdom is higher than the wisdom of God. And God will often send a thorn to the highly intelligent to show you that there's some stuff that you don't know. That's what tripped me out about the pandemic, was to watch experts on TV who study medicine say, yeah, we don't know. We're trying to figure some stuff out. We'll, we'll come back to you tomorrow, come back the next day. Yeah, we, we still don't know, just, just stay in the house. Pride, the highly intelligent. Pride affects ooh, the greatly gifted. If there's a great gift on your life, be careful. Because your tendency, because God gives gifts without repentance, is to ride the gift he has given you and not give credit to the one who gave you the gift. Every time before I come out here to preach, I'm fully aware God has given me a gift. Don't ask me to do administration. Don't ask me to like send an email on time. When you want somebody to talk, holler at your boy. I just need one mic. This is a gift. But if I let this gift cause a pride to come in my heart that I don't even stop before I come out here and say, God, it's not my eloquent words or cute illustrations that can bring life change. It is only your power. It is only your presence on every word that I speak. When you are greatly gifted, you are more susceptible to pride. Satan was the most gifted angel. No wonder he fell. The insanely or incredibly rich money. Isn't it funny when you start getting money, you start thinking you don't need God. You are broke, you was in church every day. Oh God, I need you. Please, Lord, it's going to hit. Oh Lord, please, you want to stand. Now you made some money. Oh, you know, I might go to, I might go today. I'm trying to brunch. Isn't that funny? You was broke, you was at the altar every day. Now you're like, uh, mimosas? Yes, can you bring them to the table? I, I, I went last month. God will send a thorn that money cannot pay for. Because they don't sell peace at Neiman Marcus. Can't find joy at the Gucci store. The deeply religious because you've been walking with the Lord since the third trimester of your mom's pregnancy. No, oh, you know all the scriptures. My God, did you see what she had on in the house of God? You know all the songs. You know all the scriptures. And you're like the Pharisees. Your pride is blocking you from encountering God. And he has to give a thorn to bring us to our knees. When was the last time you thanked God for your thorn? When is our culture going to understand that strength is not in your flex? It's not in bragging about what you have. You want to flex something? Flex your weakness. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you.
I tell you what I've learned is that his grace is sufficient. I could flex to you about accomplishments. Yo, I could tell you about moments where I've preached in arenas with 40,000 people. I could tell you about moments where I've preached on some of the most influential platforms in the world. But what does that do for you? You know what I've seen God do the most work in? It's when I've pulled a man to the side, a brother to the side, and told them I know what it's like to struggle with an addiction to pornography. I know what it's like to have that be a secret in your life and feel like you cannot tell anybody about it because of the shame. I've seen what that addiction can do. And I've also seen the power of bringing that thing out of secrecy and even sharing it with my bride and saying, I need help with this. Hold me accountable. I don't want to be bound by this. I want to be pure. I want to be a holy vessel. I've seen the freedom and accountability and bringing secret things out in the open so that you can actually have healing. And I've seen that bring breakthrough to so many marriages more than me saying what conference that I spoke at I came to tell somebody when was the last time you thank God for your thorn your thorn is what's producing something on the inside of you that blessing could never produce your thorn is reminding you that God's ways are higher than your ways his thoughts are higher than your thoughts that thorn is making you praise that thorn is making you trust that thorn is making you lean not on your own understanding but put all your trust and your hope in him and I need somebody in this service to start flipping the script on the enemy when he wants you to focus on the suffering you ought to thank God for what the thorn is producing and say God I wouldn't have picked it for myself but thank God it's producing a praise thank God it's giving me resilience thank God it's giving me the fortitude to stand and have it done all to stand stand therefore thank him for the thorn in your pride. Would you stand to your feet all over this place today? I'm going to ask every head be bowed, eyes be closed. I'm going to ask that nobody leave, please. We're going to dismiss. But the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. In other words, my grace is enough. Heads about eyes are closed, but sometimes I just wonder, is the grace of God enough for us? Because so many times we live our lives and say, God, yeah, but if I only had this, then I would be happy. Lord, yeah, but if you only did this, then I could have joy. God, if you only brought this, then I, then I could actually have peace. But if you're saying, God, if I only had this or you only did this, then I could have peace and joy. Whatever that thing is, is truly your God. Because he said to Paul what he says to us today, my grace is sufficient. No, I'm not going to take it away. But I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. My grace is sufficient. When was the last time you thanked God for the thorn in your pride, the thing that brought you down to your knees? 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed today. I need to know who I came for. Pride will always block your access to the presence of God. Pride will make you hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness towards the Father. Pride will make you say, I'll never forgive them. Pride will keep you rehearsing what they did wrong to the point that your physical body is sick because you're so full of bitterness and rage. Pride will make you not say, I'm sorry. Pride will make you keep bringing up another person's mistakes. Pride. And maybe you've never made the connection until today that that thorn is to break your pride, to bring you down to your knees and keep you dependent upon him. Some of you are upset because there's something God hasn't given you and God's saying, if I gave it to you, I would never hear from you. So even in the thorn, can you still thank me? My grace is sufficient. So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, if this is for you and maybe there's an area where pride is making you hold on to something and God is speaking to hearts right now about whatever that thing is and today your response needs to be, God, I don't want any pride in my heart to stop me from encountering you. God, you don't have to give me a thorn for me to be humbled. God, I give it to you today if that's you. And you know what that thing is? Just as a sign of responding to God, would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I could see it? Wow, thank you, Jesus. Hands are going up all over this place today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You can lift it up and put it right back down. God gave me such a word when we planted this church. He said, we are to be a house of prayer. We're to be a house of presence. We're to be a house for people. But he also gave me a warning that you cannot be a house of pride because pride blocks the blessing and the favor. So whatever that pride is making you hold on to, God says, release it today. Give it to him. This humility opens up the hinge where the presence of God meets us. Anybody else? Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I want to be real specific. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, man, I can think of no better day than this Father's Day for you to surrender your life to your heavenly Father. One of the worst things you can do is project the character of your earthly father who wasn't there onto your heavenly father. He's better than that. He's not in heaven trying to remind you of everything that you did wrong, waiting to beat you upside your head when you mess up. He stands with arms open wide, welcoming his children home. So if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, or maybe you say, hey, Pastor Robert, I need to rededicate my life to him. I want to give you that opportunity now. If that's you, would you shoot up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it to say today's the day I'm giving him my life. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. I see those hands. So many hands lifted. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. 
Come on, I want us to pray this prayer as one big family. We're all going to say it, but especially those of you who responded. As a matter of fact, if you're cool with it, could you just lift up your hands to heaven all over this place, especially those of you who responded to me? This is a sign of humility. It says, God, I can't do it on my own. My hands are raised to you. God, I can't carry the weight of life on my own. I need you. Can we pray this prayer as one big family, but especially those of you who responded? Would you say this? Say, Jesus, my hands are lifted because I need you. I cannot do life without you. Jesus, I know you lived the life that I was supposed to live and you died the death that I was supposed to die. You took my place. Jesus, I know your blood was shed for me. There was a crown of thorns they placed on your head for me. So my response to your sacrifice is surrender. I give you all of me. From this moment forward, I'm walking with you. Thank you for the good and thank you for the thorns that keep me dependent on you. In Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Come on, if you meant what you prayed, can you give Jesus praise today? Come on, you could do better than that. Can we give King Jesus some praise in this place?